Welcome to WeChat Divorce, hosted by Karen Chalou, Legal Liaison, and Catherine Shanahan, CDFA. Each episode, we sit down with divorce professionals and industry experts to provide insights and frank discussions about real people, real situations, and real divorce to help you achieve your best life post-divorce. This episode of WeChat Divorce is brought to you by My Divorce Solution, offering divorce financial planning so clients can secure the divorce settlement they deserve. Visit MyDivorceSolution.com to request access. Welcome to WeChat Divorce. Catherine and I are so happy to welcome Marianna Goldenberg, CDFA, to our podcast. In this episode, we're going to discuss the five common mistakes when dividing executive compensation in divorce. But first, let me take just a couple of minutes to introduce Marianna. With 30 years experience, Mariana is founder and CEO of Curo Wealth Management, which is a financial planning firm located in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Curo in Latin means to take care, and this is what they do for a select group of families, women, and very busy executives. When it comes to her clients, Mariana takes care of everything relating to their finances. She loves teaching and empowering people to make important decisions for their financial future, helping to set them off on a better path than where they started. Mariana especially loves it when they bring their kids into the conversation so they can learn too, and she helps them save for their futures. Mariana, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, ladies, for having me on your podcast. Oh, we love having you. Thanks for coming. We always love talking with you, Mariana. Thank you. So, Mariana, I noticed on your website that you have a quote that says, I never lose. I either win or learn by Nelson Mandela. What connects you with that quote? Thank you for noticing and thank you for asking. I try to live by this quote each and every day. I want to remember and teach my daughters and my clients that the fact of life is that we meet challenges, daily challenges every day. And we should never think of the downside as a loss. We always should think of this an opportunity to learn something new, to regroup, to use this experience and move forward. That's why I so prominently have it on my website. I love it. Thank you. So true and so powerful, right? Otherwise you become stagnant in your life and fearful of ever moving forward. That's right. Yeah, it's a big deal. Thanks for that. So we're going to hop into five common mistakes when dividing executive compensation. And I know when people are approaching the divorce process, everything seems overwhelming and complicated. And so this conversation, I believe, is going to help a lot of people understand, first of all, what it is and then how to maneuver or negotiate to a good settlement. So let's start out with what is executive compensation? Sure. And I would like to really thank you for bringing up this subject. It's really so important and is so overlooked by a lot of people. So I'm very happy to be on this podcast and hopefully shed some light on this. And I would like to, as you said, talk about what is an executive compensation. So make some definitions before we really dive into some of the mistakes that I see during the process. So basically, an executive compensation or equity compensation is a very common component of the overall compensation package that executives receive. They work for a large corporation or to some extent for smaller business entities. Equity compensation is paid in a number of different ways, and there are four that are the most common that we see on a daily basis. 
The first one is restricted stock units. And basically, this is a compensation that entitles an employee to receive a shares company stock or a payment equivalent to the value of the stock. So they're either restricted stock units or restricted stock. The second one is stock options or warrants, and those permit employees to purchase stock at a fixed price at some future date. There also are something that are called performer share units, the abbreviation for that is PSUs, and they're comparable to RSUs but have additional performance-related component to them. The fourth one is deferred compensation plan, and those are basically employees given an option to defer part of their regular compensation or their bonus up to a certain predetermined date. That date can vary from a couple years from now or at retirement, depending on the plan, depending on the choices that the employee makes. The first three that I mentioned have a very common characteristics. They're usually conditioned upon a vesting schedule that requires the employee to continue working for the company to receive those benefits sometime in the future. The employee might be uh, eligible to receive that compensation at a specific rate, 20 or 25% per year over a certain number of years, or they ha might have to wait certain number of years and receive a whole hundred percent at the same time. But you're saying they have to stay employed with their with employer the company. to benefit. Yes, that's absolutely correct. And that's something that's one of the those mistakes that I see that people forget to mention. That's not a guaranteed asset that you have to meet certain employment conditions to be eligible to receive them in the future. And you know, when you're saying that, if you're listening to this, be wary of just agreeing that you'll give that up because somebody's telling you that guess what it's not guaranteed so don't even ask for it especially if your spouse has been working with the company for a very long time that's just a negotiation that they're trying to force upon you in some instances i want to ask you about the deferred compensation sure so when you say that you can defer your compensation maybe for a year or two or what have you choose that date if you're preparing for divorce, is that something that an employee can ask to have changed in some companies in an effort to avoid that? Or is that like a yearly thing or is it in your agreement when you just go with the company or can it be changed basically? That's a very good question, Catherine. The answer depends on the company plan. So it's very important and I'll talk about this a little bit down the road about the documents to ask for when the agreement is prepared. But a lot of what you just asked depends on the company plan. It's very unique to that company's plan that yes, there are common factors across the board, but there are also unique plan documents that specify what's available, what's not. But in general, you can make changes to deferred compensation once a year during the open enrollment period unless it's a smaller company that might have a little bit more flexibility that's usually set in stone it's written in the summary plan description it's also mentioned in the offer letter probably that you received what's really important you brought a very important point that the deferred compensation is totally discretionary so people or attorneys or mediators should not be based the calculation for the spousal maintenance or support based on the compensation after the deferral. It should be looked as a total compensation 
because deferrals are totally discretional. And chances are that balances in the deferred compensation plan are marital if they are deferred during marriage. So that's really important asset to remember about and often is overlooked. We've had situations with couples where the spouse who has the deferred compensation say, well, I'm going to retire or I'm quitting my job. So will you be talking about this in the common mistakes about how the other spouse can respond to those threats? Because essentially that's what it is. I wasn't planning on it, but if you'd like me to allude to it, I absolutely can. I have. I think it's have important. So, it is very important. And I have so much that I wanted to share. I had a really hard time knowing that we're constrained by time to sort of put it all in a much smaller content. But it, it really is important because it's often overlooked. It's not something that you can see easily on W-2 or 1099 or even a tax return. So it's an easily overlooked asset. And even though the deferred compensation distributions are picked during the deferral process, some plans allow for those to be changed within a certain period of time. And depending on each couple situation, it's possible to either take the distribution out all at once, distribute it to the non-employee spouse and let them you know, go their separate ways and not to be dependent on those time constraints. Some plans won't allow it. So unfortunately, as long as the dates are set, both spouses have to adhere to those dates. So it really depends on the plan. And this is why getting a summary plan description, understanding how it works, asking questions is so, so important. Ahead of time, right? Ahead of Thank time. Thank you. Yeah. Always Thank ahead you for, of time. <laughs> thanks for going on that rabbit trail with me. Sure. <laughs> All right. Are we ready to move on to the next topic of how would a spouse know if their partner has executive compensation benefits? How do they identify that? It's a very lucrative benefit, as I said before, and it doesn't typically show on any normal documents that are gathered for discovery. So if you look at the tax return or you look at the W-2, it's not showing there. So nobody will ever notice unless you ask for certain documents that must be included as part of the discovery. The only time you can view this benefit is in a year-end statement. If the person either exercised their options or the RSUs got vested, otherwise you won't catch it. So here's a specific list of documents. And if your spouse has worked for a corporation that he was an executive position before or currently, you always should ask for every single one of them. First of all, you should always ask for an SPD or a short version for a summary plan description of the plan. That's a Bible. That's document that everybody should be looking at that dictates what is you know employee receives and also how they can take advantage of it then if you look at the offer letter often it's spelled out on the offer letter annual awards benefit statement is another document that should be asked for and the other important thing is if there are any exercise of vesting 
prior to the date of separation, please ask for all the ledgers and invoice documents to understand what was exercised or vested, where the money went, and the tax consequences. It's really important. And the year-end pay stops. So those are the documents that I always ask clients to, to produce. Yeah, and it's really important to know that, especially the year in which you get separated. A lot of these awards are paid out in January, February, or March. And you see a lot of data separations come right before that time. And if you've been together for a long time, you can see the history of when it's been paid. So it's concerning if your data separation is January 1st and your that next award gets paid out in February or March, where you could have waited. And if that does happen, be aware that that award that may have vested could be can used for support calculations or it should be used for an equitable distribution. And sometimes that overlaps. So without so these true. documents that you're requesting, you'll never know. And you could leave hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table by just not looking or, or not being aware. And that's what I love about our divorce financial portrait. We ask for all of this information. I'm always ready for the spouse who's receiving these awards to say, oh, I gave you that, or I gave you that. Because yes, they may have given me a W-2, but that's not really what I asked for. Or they may have been giving us this, but that's not really what we asked for. Somehow one of these documents is left out or they can't get. And so I think it's important to be persistent and continue to ask for that before you agree to make any type of negotiation off of it. Very true. All right. So let's get into the five most common mistakes when spouses are splitting executive compensation. Number one. Number one, agreement should state very precisely how those executive compensation assets should be divided. Division can get very messy because most employers do not allow stock options or restricted stock to be transferred to a non-employee spouse, even if it's related to divorce. So what do you do when you cannot divide up these assets like you can do with a brokerage or savings account? The first thing, as I said before, please always ask for the summary plan description before MSA or marital settlement agreement is prepared. It's so imperative that your lawyer includes a certain very specific language in drafting the settlement agreement to protect you and ensure that you have received a fair share of options and restricted stock. So the first mistake that I see quite often in the marital settlement agreement says that the spouses will receive 50-50 or 60-40 or whatever it is percent of the equity compensation. It's not possible. It's not, in most cases, it's not possible to divide like this. So that certain language should be part of the agreement that says how it should be done and spell out every little detail. So there is no room left for any mistake or gray areas. With that being said, wouldn't it be great if it was required, not required, but if everyone really knew that you know, you don't just need a lawyer to review your agreement for the legal language to protect yourself. But if you're working with a financial planner, it would be really important for you to have them review your agreement before you sign it to make sure that language is properly written as it relates to your estate or your plan that you're dealing with, because they are the ones who are going to help you transfer that money. And if the language isn't in there, right, guess where you're going? You're going back to court, to court. You're going for an amendment, and that, it'll be very costly. 
I absolutely agree. And not only that, I also would add to that, that the financial planner that you work with should be well-versed in uh, equity compensation and understand how it works. Because if they're even reading and they don't understand how it works, they might not be able to provide you that in-depth advice or analysis that you should really get. Actually, to that point, and we have a case scenario that we can even talk about is that goes for your CPA as well. If they do not know how to record or handle this as the taxation goes, you could be double taxed without even knowing it. Yeah. We had that come across when we were collecting tax returns and the agreements and it didn't add up. And going backwards, it was because the accountant didn't really record it properly. So a new accountant who was well-versed in that field had to do an amendment to this return, which was 60 plus thousand dollars, I think a difference. It's a lot. And so I think people can easily fall into this space because I see this a lot where the spouse says, I'm going to take care of you. You're going to be fine. This is how things go missing or the asset never gets transferred because while you may have thought you're getting half of it, it never got into the agreement. Or if it did get into the agreement, there was never an implementation of the transfer. So while a spouse may say, I'm going to take care of you, you're going to be okay. And even if your attorney says this, I see this so often, the attorney says, you're going to be fine. What are you worried about? It's still important that you understand, first of all, what you have, and then that what the agreement should be saying to protect you. You may not know the exact language, but you certainly can know that there should be language in there to protect you. And, and be so, all over that with your financial advisors. And it's so true what you said, Karen, because I always say that you don't know what you don't know. But hopefully what we will do with this podcast is at least open your eyes to there is something I might not know. Who do I go and ask or how do I learn about it? So at least there is that ask where before you would just go through this and not even pay attention. No, no, as you do are speaking, the, the thing that's sitting in my stomach right now is saying, you're right, Karen, we hear this all the time. I'm going to take care of you. Why not asking the question back? Oh, how are you going to take care of me? You know, turn that back or you're going to be okay. Like you, you still need this information. If they're defining taking care of you as they're figuring it out or they're going to do it. No, taking care of you is giving you the information you're requesting, letting you get the knowledge that you need. That's taking care of someone. Absolutely. Because you're going to need to know that information in your new independent life. So take the steps now to ask and be brave in that space for sure. All right, Mariana, next. What's the next common mistake? That's probably one of my favorite of all five, if there is such thing. And there is much more than five that I can put together, but you know, it will be here for a couple of months going over it. <laughs> But, I might get tired. <laughs> this is really a very important one. As I mentioned before, the employee spouse is the one who owns the shares and they cannot transfer the ownership. That said, that means that when they exercise their options, 
or when their RSU awards vest, there will be tax consequences to this event. The taxes are being taken usually right at that event. Depending on a company, they either will defer to a mandatory 22% federal tax or they will be able to increase that, that withholding depending on the plan that they're in. What happens is the tax is going to events happening. The employee spouse pays the taxes. And then essentially, it's very possible that one person could get stock paying taxes for the entire amount of stock while the other slips away with the whole value. And it's really important in the marital settlement agreement have a language, a specific language that says who is responsible for the taxes, how those will be reconciled at the end of the year or going into a next tax year. So for example, if the employee is getting a 22% taxes withheld from their pay stub, when they do their tax return, they're really paying 30% tax. The spouse that gets the non-employee spouse will be responsible for a 7% difference to be paid back, or it could be vice versa. It cannot and should not be addressed after the fact. It should be spelled out in the agreement of how that would be addressed, how it will be reconciled, what documents need to be produced on the annual basis to perform re reconciliation, and who's going to be doing it. So what are those documents that should be requested on an annual basis? Great question. There should be the invoices of the exercise, the 1231 pay stop showing the tax returns, tax returns for that year to see what was the actual effective tax rate that the employee spouse or ex-spouse at that time paid that needs to be reconciled. And remember, if you're reconciling, you don't have to reconcile with your spouse's accountant or the accountant that the two of you used for years. It might be a good idea to get a new accountant to reconcile for you, just so you have another opinion. An independent one, very true. Which can be spelled out in the agreement, just so that you have that opportunity and write in writing. That's a good one. All right, let's move along. Mistake number four. Mistake number four. And Catherine alluded to it a little bit in the beginning. Which one is it? Is it an asset? or is it an income? A lot of times people are either double counting this asset or there is a confusion of which one is it. It really depends on the specific situation because something that we're not even going to get into today is how do you value the, that the executive compensation? What's the value of it? It's very complex and perhaps a topic of another podcast but you can either value this asset, and if you do, you can divide it up you know, at the certain date and time, or you can say we're going to divide it when earned or when vested, so it's as you go. So it's either something that is an equitable distribution of assets and whatever you come up with, 50-50, 60-40 allocation, or the distribution of the money upon vesting or exercising will be counted as part of the spousal support. So a certain formula will be applied depending on a state to see how much of it will be 
send to the non-employee spouse. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You have to choose one or the other. And in most cases that I've looked at, counting it as a future asset subject to distribution is the most advantageous because this way neither spouse takes the risk of this asset either exploding in value or actually the company going belly up. This way you share that equally, Mm -hmm. but it's really important you can't have it both. Yeah, I know if you think about it, if it's spouse, I know it would be considered for child support negotiations, but if you're if it's a an amount calculated for spousal support, if you're awarded that, remember if you get remarried or cohabitate, there goes your spousal support or the time's up. So you could lose out on that possible equitable distribution you would have received. It really is a lot to consider, but when you know everything that you have, you're able to make smart decisions knowing instead of unknowingly making yeah. fearful decisions. Or being in a spot where decisions are being made and the documentation hasn't even been collected. That happens probably in 70% of divorces where couples going to a settlement conference or mediation and the discovery hasn't been completed. And most times the documents haven't been asked for because a lot of times they're not asked for at all or they're asked for before the marital settlement agreement is put together. And so you put yourself in a very precarious situation when you do not get this documentation up front. Preparation is the key at my divorce solution for sure. I understand how people feel. I mean, we're all involved with this and we get it. And this is probably the 50th time we're talking about something like this. So it's not the first time we're hearing about it. So a complex issue like this, when you're in the muck of the whole divorce, you don't want to keep asking for information and your spouse is getting mad. So it's very easy to back off and say, well, maybe I just don't need that. I want to get through this too. I'm sick of it. If I send this to my attorney again, it's going to cost me a fortune. And so that's so normal, which is probably why we love our process, because it gives you that time to unravel and that space to just get through your emotions while we're collecting for you. But don't overlook it. Take the time that you need. You deserve it. You deserve this information, whether it comes to something or not. It's better off than just rushing through this process to get to the end, and then a year goes by, maybe not even that long, and you say, oh, shit, what did I do? I should have never did that. And that's where it's really hard to heal and move forward. So don't be afraid of these complex issues. There are people out there who have The knowledge, just like we're getting from Mariana here on this podcast, this knowledge is very important for you to know. And I always relate this to people going, getting their uh, medical test results before they make a decision of either doing surgery or not. You're not just going to come see a surgeon and say, okay, I like what you say, let's do it. You're going to get second opinion. You're going to collect your blood work, your scans, MRIs. Try to apply the same educated process as you do with the medical decisions here, because if you make a decision that's it's an intelligent one based on the information, you'll never regret it because you've made it with solid information and you can live with it. That's excellent. It's a good analogy for sure. And thank you. All right, let's move on to number five. What's the fifth common mistake? The fifth common mistake is not specifying how the process gonna work and that then not following through after divorce is finalized and especially if this unraveling of executive compensation can last for five to ten years people get on with their life they forget 
they don't think it's important and then things there is no follow through. So it's really important to have a specific language in the settlement agreement that states how the process is going to work. Because if you agreed that executive compensation will be an asset that will be divided when and if down the road, you have to have certain points of how it's going to happen. Who's going to contact who? What kind of instructions are needed? How soon these instructions have to be followed up on? Should it be done in writing? Should it be done over the phone? When, let's say, options exercise happened, how the check has to be forwarded? How soon? And is it net of taxes? So all this, instead of debating it after the fact, and then Catherine said going back to court should be discussed and put in writing up front. So you just go through and say, here's what I'm doing. This is, I did this. And it's basically like a checklist. And then you put a reminder for yourself or your person you're working with that at certain time of the year, when something is vested, you remember that you have to have an extra step of getting your money. And there is no forgetting. There is no blaming. It's all spelled out. And if your spouse tells you, guess what? I didn't get those awards. The company decided not to pay them. Well, I'm not saying that you have to call them a liar or anything, but definitely ask for the documentation that proves that it was not given just for your own peace of mind. And make sure your language has in there that if he does not or she does not give you what they were supposed to, that they pay the attorney fees for you to go back to court to get the information because we do see that happening. Yep. Absolutely. Mariana, I like that you really make sure that is covered in the marital settlement agreement and you have your eye on that as a financial planner. So when you said make sure the person you're working with knows this information, is that their financial planner or their accountant, which would be better suited for that particular task? Well, it's actually, I would say to check on both. I normally don't see accountants looking at marital settlement agreement unless they have to do a reconciliation of taxes. So mm -hmm. usually that's after the fact. So I would suggest their attorney or their financial planner, they should ask them if they work with this before the marital settlement agreement is finalized. And if they don't, ask for someone to be referred to that will review this with you and for you. I think that's a very important step because a professional in that space is going to be much more effective in the enforcement of it than you are as an individual because you may not even know where to start or where to go or how to even get the ball rolling in that case. Very true. Yeah. Thank you, Mariana. Sure. I have a, I have a quick question. Sure. So if I'm the spouse and I have these RSUs that have been vested, but I don't want to cash them in and Karen and I are divorced and she wants to cash in her half that she got. Who ultimately gets to make that decision and can she trump my decision not to get the money? Yep, that's a great question. So it all depends on what type of compensation you're talking about. If those are RSUs or restricted stock units, you don't have really a say. They will be vesting at a certain date and a certain time and it's predetermined. So if it's a three-year, what's called a vesting schedule in three years at a certain date that's predetermined they will vest at the price which will be prevailing on that date and the employee will get 
basically net of tax deposit into their account that they have to share. If you are talking about the stock options, normally there is a 10-year expiration schedule, but a three to four-year vesting schedule. So after the vesting schedule is over, the non-employee spouse and that's why it's so important to have it spelled out in the agreement. We'll have a perfect right to say, you can wait another seven years until the expiration date, but I don't have to. If I'm entitled to half of those stock options, I'm going to call you or email you or whatever it is, tell you, I want my share to be exercised and the proceeds sent to me. So you are no longer attached in that regard to each other. You can make independent decisions. Which no one understands. So if you have stock options, you need to know that. And you need that language to protect you. Absolutely. Um, so again, ask the questions if you see stock options. You don't have to wait for your spouse to tell you when and where to do anything. You can have your agreement read that so you can follow through on your own or with your advisor. And it's very common for the employee spouse think that they know what's going on in the company or they feel the stock's going to go up or down and they try to influence the their access decision i always try to tell my clients remember what their situation is, is no longer the same as yours you have to make that decision independently for yourself because what good for your ex-spouse might not be good for you at that point of time well, also, Mariana, if you have that, and let's just say I'm awarded those awards and I want my children to have them and I pass away and they haven't been paid out yet. So if you don't have that even in your will, your ex-spouse would get to keep them, wouldn't they? That's a great question. I would think so, that because normally it would go into your estate. So you should make provision through your will to spell out how those should be distributed. It's a really good point. Yeah, I know I did that with mine. That's what I know about it. <laughs> wow, <laughs> <no> Catherine. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Mariana, you are a wealth of information. Thank you Thank so you. much for being here with us today. Thank you for allowing me to share that information with you. I'm always open to share. Oh. Well, it brings us back. I know, Karen, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I guess I am. It brings us, so I apologize, but it brings <laughs> us back to the quote Karen pointed out that she saw on your website. And it's great because this knowledge, without this knowledge, you don't know. So you can't fault yourself for not knowing, but you can fault yourself at this moment for not getting the information that you need. But so you really should because it's powerful information and it should be shared. I mean, Mariana, you have such a great way of breaking it down for us and making it simpler to understand but maybe we have to listen to this podcast five times to really get number two and three and that's okay that's why it's a podcast so re-listen to it and leave your comments on the podcast we'd love to follow up with any additional knowledge that you need out there so this concludes this episode on five common mistakes when dividing executive compensation and divorce mariana where can listeners find you? Uh, thank you for asking, Darren. So you can find us, uh, our website is www.curowm.com. Uh, Curow 
WM is ForCureWealthManagement.com. We are located in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. We also have multiple social media platforms. They're all spelled out on our website, Instagram and, and Facebook and LinkedIn. And one quick disclosure that I have to make that's mandated by our regulating agencies that our securities and advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, which is a member of FINRA and SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be. Mariana, your firm puts out a great newsletter. So if you're on the website, make sure you sign up for that newsletter. It's really good. All right. Thank you again, Mariana. And we'll continue these conversations in the future, I am sure. If you're getting divorced, make sure you have a financial plan in place. My Divorce Solutions Divorce Financial Planning can help you understand your settlement options, negotiate your marital assets, and protect your wealth during this difficult time. Our certified divorce experts will help you analyze your finances and create a personalized financial plan that's right for you. Visit MyDivorceSolution.com to apply to work with our financial divorce experts. That's MyDivorceSolution.com. Thanks for joining us on another episode of WeChat Divorce. We hope this episode was informative and supportive on your divorce journey. If you are looking for more support for navigating divorce with confidence and clarity, Head over to MyDivorceSolution.com for more podcast episodes, divorce events, and resources for your divorce. We'll see you back here for our next episode.